Welcome to Dungeon Talk. Higher level learning for your tabletop game. And now, here's Evan and Michael. Hey, what's up? This is Evan. And Michael. And Nico. And this is Dungeon Talk episode 24. On today's episode, our table topics are going to be D&D Next versus 13th Age versus Fate. Um, character creation and first impressions. We just sat here for the past couple hours and ran through creating characters in each different game, and um, they were very different, and none of them survived. <laughs> <laughs> they were all killed. So uh, our second table topic is going to be using props in the game, which we're talking not really uh, combat maps or like grid maps or anything like that. You mean more like using... A pre-generated map or like right. a, like an a actual three-dimensional Lego castle or something. Right, just to give kind of visual flair to the game. You know, maybe a picture of a deep rainforest if you're walking through a rainforest. Or, you know, a, a picture from the Monster's Manual just saying, you know, you're fighting this and actually show the picture rather than trying to describe it. Or using that to sort of uh, escalate those those descriptions and enhance them, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, we're going to answer a mailbag question from Facebook, and it's going to be about world creation and should it come from the DM or should it be a collaboration um, from everybody's. And that, that dovetails nicely with the Fate Core system, which is something I, I read over vacation. I, I literally fell in love with it as I was reading it. I know I, me and Nico talked a little bit on Facebook, and I was trying to explain it to him. And and it may may not be any fun playing it, but reading the book, I love the system. And that's one of the aspects of that game is it's a more of a collaborative storytelling game than I'm used to playing and specifically talks about that. So. There's a lot of moments in when you're DMing where I want to th- interject and throw in my ideas like, hey, I think you, uh, your, short, your story should do this or I think this should be in your environment. But I don't think that that's appropriate or I hold back because I'm like, well, no, that's, you know, you're creating the story or you're creating the world. Um, so to start, you want to talk about Facebook a little bit? Yeah, I just I, we kind of mentioned it last time about how we're trying to drive some traffic there. Just just because based on that survey, that seems to be people's preferred method of interaction. Um, and as before, I hadn't done anything with it. I mean, I literally just was using it to double post things to try to to drive you know Google traffic. Um, Caleb again has been running it as an as a moderator. He's had he's going to do uh, motivation Mondays. So every Monday he's going to post like a prompt about trying to help drive creativity in the game and just uh, asking my friends and really kind of pushing it we went from two people liking us which i think was me and nico uh we're now up to 12 so that's definitely jumped uh, quite a lot and already there's been probably not as much interaction as was on the forum but we've been doing the forum for months but there's already been a lot of interaction i've had two or three people ask questions and you know kind of a question and response and our question today even comes from a facebook post rather than the podcast email or the forum so it seems like it's it is doing what it is supposed to do is drive interaction. So I'm really liking that, and I just want to encourage people to continue. I did have one person tell me it's kind of hard to find, but basically it's facebook.com backslash D and D Academy. So D the letter N D and Academy no dot com no spaces that kind of thing. And it should so you have to type in D and D Academy a specific way in the Facebook it, yeah, search. So it's not the don't use the ampersand and don't use any spaces or underscores. So just the you, letters you all together. You can still Facebook search it. You can still go to Facebook and in the search where you can search for people. You can say D and D Academy, press enter and find it. 
but it's important to use D and then the letter N instead of an ampersand or something else. Yeah. Same thing with the Cafe Press website. I've also had people tell me they have a hard time finding that. Same thing. If, actually, on there, don't even use the N. Just use DD because I used an ampersand originally, and I didn't realize it didn't work. So if anybody does want to buy a mug with a D&D Academy logo on it, just type DD space Academy, and that will take you to our site. That. I know. I need to. I, I need someone to, to do that for me Is as well. It, so Caleb did Facebook. Someone needs to run my Cafe Press site. The address bar on the web on the screen says D letter N D, but then our homepage isn't the logo D and, with the symbol. Yes, ampersand. And the, so it yeah. already doesn't match. It doesn't. And, as soon and, as you go and to the again, website. when we first started this, I didn't <laughs> We know. weren't even D&D Academy when we first started. <laughs> That's true. We, but we didn't know that. So, uh, so there's definitely, if we had to start all over, I probably would make a few changes. Uh, and then the last thing, again, just the, the T-shirt. Uh, you know, I, I went in and I changed it. It's on the Facebook page as well as the website. I basically redid the campaign so that the T-shirt's a little bit cheaper and we need less pre-orders. I, you know, again, overconfidently, I thought that T-shirt was hilarious, and we'd sell like a million of them, and you know, have money and actually be able to build a studio. Instead, I'm the only one that ordered one at Nico. So I went in and I changed it. So instead of needing 25 pre-orders, we only need 10. We've already got three, and that doesn't count Nico, which I assume he'll do. So we only need six more. I also took off the logo off the back, so it no longer says D&D Academy on the back. So shameless, you know, uh, advertising is off because that might have been the reason why some people didn't want it. So that all it says on the front is, if you can read this, I failed my stealth check. So if you can go to the Facebook page or go to the website and click on the link, that'll take you to the new one. I think if you search it, it's D&D Academy 2 or underscore 2 or something because the other one's technically still running. I couldn't figure out how to cancel it. Anything else? Any other? Oh, and I'm working on a corporate sponsor. I'm not going to give it away yet in case it falls through, but I got a couple emails out. I'm hoping that by the next time we get together, I can say that we're sponsored by somebody. I hope it's Hooters. <laughs> I didn't email Flesh them. Light. <laughs> nice. Hey, it's a good demographic. I thought you were going to say it's a good tool. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. So let's Our get first table this. topic is... Um, we just went through. First, we made D and D next character sheets. Um, I did a warrior, or I did a fighter, a human fighter. Nico, your D and D next character was a was a, a rogue, a wood elf rogue, because mm-hmm. the ranger wasn't working with a character concept I had, so I had to play a rogue. <clears throat> so uh, he was kind of going to be a sniper, so it made more sense to. Yeah. Make we just kind of got the gist of a, of it, and then Michael ran a battle, and I murdered you, two super, goblins and a bugbear. Yeah, twice. I. Uh, I did a I did a stealth roll and they failed, so I got a sneak attack. I, I the first time I attacked Evan, I rolled like a natural twenty and nineteen and eighteen. So the very first time we did it, I actually killed you before you even went. So then we changed it, started over with two goblins, and I still ended up killing you. It just wasn't in one round. But that was in thirteenth age, right? No, that was in D and D next again. We did two D and D next. Yes, because I murdered you Twice. before you even moved the oh, okay. first time. So you probably blocked that out. It happened so fast that only went through his sort memory <laughs> and forgot. So then. So then, because we've been playing Dean Next for a while, we have a pretty good grasp, grasp on now. it. Um, so the goal of that was to kind of get the idea of a character in mind and then try to recreate the same sort of character under 13th Age and kind of see how that felt differently. Because I'm a huge fan of 13th Age. I absolutely love that system. I love everything about it, the storytelling elements. I like how backgrounds work. I like the one unique thing. I like the icons. So I've been trying to so, push to us going to 13th Age, so I wanted you guys to kind of So do you want to start with 13th Age? Yeah, so we'll start with 13th Age. Can I throw something out? No. Right from the beginning, it's. I think some of the um, 
okay, the maneuvers from 13th Age, like the things that trigger abilities are kind of, I don't know what the word is, but it complicated, not complicated. uh, Like what makes the difference? Like the fact that, um, okay. Deadly assault in 13th age, um, any natural even hit and re-roll any ones from damage. So if you roll an even number and you hit, and then you roll ones for damage, you get to re-roll those ones. Correct. Then on deadly blows is on an even miss. So there's these little nuances where, well, if you roll an even number and it hits, this happens. Or if you roll an odd number and it hits, then this happens or this doesn't happen. The even, I, the even and the odd number thing on the dice roll has it has no relevance in the combat world or in the world itself. It is, it is purely mechanical. It is one of the things that that is not narrative driven. And this this is a game that and has I, and I don't. That's what I don't right, like. It, about it, it has some narrative elements that we didn't get to as much, like the icons and background. But the reason why they did that, based on my reading of their interviews and that kind of thing. Is that they wanted to? They wanted to get away from the fact that you rolled the dice and it was hit or miss. That there's an added element. So even on rolls that aren't really high, sometimes there's a well. This is still interesting. So like Nico's character had a thing. If he missed, but he missed with a certain type of number, then something happened. And I know it, there's, but it just has no relevance to the actual it, combat it's or purely, the gameplay. It's purely mechanical. The, the other thing I talk about it is there are certain character classes. I think the Bard is one where they have abilities that trigger on other people's roles the same way. And again, that theory is being that I'm not on my iPhone when it's not my turn. Like, I'm always watching what's going on, because when you roll your attack, if you roll a 16, that may mean something to me. Then so all I'm that constantly sounds... involved in the battle rather than... Because honestly, a lot of our fights happen that way, is where when you're attacking, everyone else is kind of zoned out, or maybe they're thinking about their tactics. So it, it's, it's very discre- uh, it you know, well, segmented, where this is trying to keep everyone in the battle the whole time. I'm not saying it works or it's the right thing, but that's what they're trying to do. But then at least try to make the concept work with and make sense. Otherwise it just, it looks like you're giving me more work for no reason to keep me involved. Engaged. That's, and and that's what it feels like. Well, To be fair, I think playing a fighter is more complicated because I did not have the same issue as you did. For me, it was more about, critical strikes and making sure that if I roll an 18, I, I know that I got a critical strike instead of a 17, something like that. So I think in 13th age, it appears that playing a fighter or a warrior, whatever you want to call him, is more complex than playing a ranger, which is what I was playing. Yeah, and that's one of, the, I had, one of the big comparison is D&D Next, the, the fight, in the most current packet, the D&D Next fighter at first level is very vanilla. You basically have one thing you do. Yeah, in 13th age, you had Three maneuvers, I had, two feats, and a couple talents. I mean, okay, it was crazy. So for my first level fighter, I had talents and I had maneuvers, plus I had feats. But anyway, I had three talents, cleave, power attack, and heavy warrior, which all made sense in some aspect of combat or for a fighter or something like right. that. The maneuvers were deadly assault, deadly blows, and carve an opening, which were the ones that were triggered by little nuances on what number your dice came up as a result of your roll, right. which triggered this to happen. That's what I didn't like about it. What I did like about it was, can you, you'll be able to explain better than I can the idea behind the dice, the ticking dice. The escalation, the escalation dice. dice. It's probably the most 
talked about and most famous mechanic in the game right now. I would say maybe icons and one unique thing, but the escalation die is talked about a lot. And basically what that means is on the first round of combat, the escalation die doesn't exist or it's at zero. On the next round of combat, assuming that the group as a whole attacked, they were aggressive, they were moving forward towards the goal, whether that's kill everything or, you know, turn off this, you're, you're progressing forward in, in your story, you're in your goals, then the, it goes to a one. And that means that all the piece, excuse me, all the PCs, all the heroes, get a plus one to all their attacks. Next round it goes to a plus two. Next round it goes to a plus three, and it maxes out at a plus six. The idea being that as long as you're moving forward and you have momentum, you're constantly gaining momentum, and you're more likely to hit. And there's a sort of a, a tactical element that maybe you hold off on some of your heavy hitting powers or abilities or spells as a spellcaster when you are at a plus four, plus five, or plus six because you're a lot more likely to hit them than first-round fireball, and you roll a 12, and wah, 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 nothing happens. It also appears that they have feats that trigger on the, escala on the escalation yes. dice. Because my Wood Elf had one of his abilities was I roll a D6, and then you take a feat that makes it a D4, and if it's less or equal than the escalation die, you get two standard actions. Yeah, which is pretty freaking powerful. Yeah, the way I want to describe 13th Age is like D&D &D heroes. Because it feels like the characters you make are a lot more powerful. Uh, to compare, my hit, starting hit points on 13th Age was 24 for a ranger. Uh, for a rogue in D&D, next it was 7. My constitution in both was 13. So it's not like my constitution changed. But the difference between 7 and 24 is huge. I think at level 1 in D&D &D next and the reason why a lot of games don't start at level 1 in D&D in, D &D in general is at 1 you're pretty useless you can do like one thing and you can't even do it very well and that's it in 13th age it seemed like you have plenty of things in the 13th age character I have 3 talents and 1 feat my feat was pretty simple I rolled a d4 at the start, beginning of my turn but I still had 3 different things I could do that's not counted just regular attacking um which one thing I, I think is interesting, cool. I want to jump in, is even D&D &D Next, the character sheets that we used tonight were three pages. Now, we didn't use all the pages yeah, because I, I of, get there, actually. you know, we didn't have any spell casters, but the 13th Age character sheet is one page, which I really like. Right. And I, and I know everyone wants to go, but just really quick, I want to point out for the character sheet. I always try to make a, a character sheet that's one page long because it's a lot easier to see all the data. With 13th Age, they make it very easy. And one of the things that I find amazing is they have what they call incremental advances in the lower right corner, which actually tells you, for as an example, I build a score, 4, 7th, 10th level, plus 1, to 2 abilities, I think is what it says. It's kind of low, small font. But I like that because it's still, f and this is the kind of creation as well. Maybe I'm, I'm kind of jumping around mentally here, but it makes it easy for you to see how everything relates. In D&D, &D, you have to say, okay, I hit level 2, what do I get? And then you have to go find it, and they might say, oh, you get a new skill, and you're like, okay, and then you have to go to the skill section to find it. With 13th well, Age, everything was close together. There, and there are still close. elements of that. Um, specifically, what the incremental advances is, is that you don't have a hard trigger point that, like, at this point, now I'm second level, and you get everything. So the way it works is the end of each session, you get a little bit of a bump, a little bit of a bump, and after four sessions, you're now at level two, and you get another one thing. So it's not like hard, hard trigger. You get everything. It's this, so you're this, like 1.25, 1.5, 1.75. Right. So you get like a two. skill point, and you get a maneuver trait or skill, and then now you get your hit points, 
again, I, I don't know the specifics. I'm making that up. But I'm saying is that you have these incremental advances rather than I, I play four games and now suddenly I have twice as many hit points and I'm plus two to attack. It's I'm a little bit better after each game, a little bit after, better after each game, and then I hit that hard level, which I think is cool. Evan, you've been wanting to jump in. There's two things I want to say. One, the reason that I like the Escalation die is because I think that as combat progresses, it should, as the same encounter goes on, it should become more deadly the longer it goes. Kind of like a boxing match or a UFC fight or something. The longer it progresses, they get tired, they get sloppy, they don't block as well, they don't move out of the way as well, and as combat goes, our characters and the the NPCs and the PCs should get more tired, it should get sloppy, and it should get more deadly as it goes on. When I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, that doesn't make sense with adding to our strike ability because we would get sloppier as time went on. What I think the escalation dice should be is as the dice ticks up, it should be a negative to ACs for both for for PCs and NPCs, saying that it's easier for each us to hit each other. Not and I know that's a really it, it's doing the same thing. I just think that it should be taking away from AC where that is adding it to your right. attack roll. So it's mechanically, the it's same the same task. exact thing. Now, that's just the way I think of it, and I that I think that right. that makes more sense. Now, monsters don't get that advantage. It's just the PCs, mm-hmm. except for certain, like, solo and elite boss monsters do. But I think when I once I run it, because we're going to try to do a play test here later this month, and I'm going to run it as close to the rules as I can with my, my knowledge of it. But if we were to go to 13th Age as our game... I probably would do something where monsters get like half of that. So like when you're at plus six, they're at plus three to kind of represent that and maybe even do something with the damage as well that maybe like a half damage bonus too. Because I do like the idea of it getting deadlier as you're getting tired and as as enemies drop, you know, because in most indie games, that's what's going to happen. You start with five enemies, you kill one, now you're at four. So as you sort of whittle down the opposition, it's going to, it should start feeling more dangerous. And that's why you should have goblins that run away rather than fighting to the death every time, because they're going to be like, screw this, I'm mm-hmm. out, when they see their buddy get chopped completely in half. Uh, and I, just, I like that idea. I like the, the idea of the mechanic, but I'm already thinking about tweaking it a little bit. Same here. I like it. I th- The other thing that I wanted to say, which I think is odd, was that the mechanic seems to... I don't know if it's just to throw an interesting wrench into combat or if it's to maybe speed it up because that's what it does it speeds it up as time goes on you're more likely to hit so you're more likely to deal damage and kill so just by nature the escalation dice is going to speed up combat yes at the same time you start with like triple the hit points so it seems kind of counter in it's we're gonna you could get rid of that go back to the same hit points and combat would still be the same speed as like in D&D next. Well, again, you have the extra hit points. The bad guys don't get the escalation die bonus. Well, that's, doesn't it seem... I think, I think Nico's right. This is D&D balance, heroes. Or, because if I deal no, you, at you, first you are, level... You are correct about what you're saying. It if took, I deal 1d10 damage at first level in 13th age and in, it's like 1d12, which is barely any different in D&D next... Both fighters, both same weapon, first level. But my so that means that if the bal- if we're going to keep balance, then that means that the PCs or the monsters 
should be around the same damage dealing also between the two. But yet my hit points are through the roof. So doesn't it isn't it seem right. well I, again DD Nice is not finished. Balance. But we use the same encounters, two goblins and a bugbear in the encounters. The goblins in D&D Next had three hit points, and they did either two or four points of damage. In 13th Age, they had 22 hit points. They had a higher armor class, and they did more damage. Which the, is what he's saying. So in reality, you're actually... The you're scaling up, the but the degrees of separation are essentially the same, is what he's saying, is that I have more hit points... They do more damage. They're harder to hit. Therefore, there's no difference. There's really no difference. Right. Just bigger numbers. Right. Right. Which which is why if I, I I to be clear, we only played like twenty minutes maybe of, that. of combat, and that's learning it. So it could have been even faster. But I, I agree with you. What you guys are saying, the hit points are augmented, which is great because you survive longer. However, the damage is also slightly augmented. So it's like, one and they're the making other. it more likely to hit. So to me, so, to me, and uh, this might change, but to really me, Thirteenth Age appears like the type of game that if you like D and D, but you want to be more badass, you can play Thirteenth Age, and you'll have bigger numbers and feel better. But it's only a reason to feel more badass. You're not really any right. more badass. It's kind of like playing a game where somebody has ten thousand hit points, uh, but you do five thousand damage, or playing yeah, a game yeah, exactly. Like, somebody has ten hit points. I would equate it damage. to playing online poker. Which I used to do a lot of, sadly. I start with a million chips. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I would go into a, the play game, but minimum bet is five hundred thousand. Five hundred thousand. So and, you know, I right away I had like forty million play chips on on the website, and I was like, I have forty million chips. When in reality, it's it, one, one. It's nothing because it's play chips, but it could have been pennies, and I could have had four dollars and yeah. the same rate of success. Right. But it felt different. So I, I think I, that's a lot of this. But I think from a mechanic standpoint. What they want to do is they don't want you to get killed. For example, like what happened to you that very first battle in D&D Next where I got three attacks and I hit you. You never even got to go and your character's dead. That would not have happened. Even if I hit you all three of those attacks with the goblins, you would have survived. That's it. why it's more heroic. Yes. I was kind of disappointed how close you were to D&D, actually. I mean, I it, was, is, I was, it is a it version. It seems like a more complicated version of the same game. Well, it's With more complicated flair. than Next, but it's less complicated than some of the others, I think. Yeah, it, it definitely has yes. flair and style. You can tell that the way the combat will develop has more style. You'll be able to do more cool things. Like suddenly, I mean, there's an ability that can attack twice. And if I roll a really low, like on my 1d4, I have gone twice. So then I can be shooting people four times with a plus six extra, which obviously that would make you look really awesome. Right. But it, feel, it really feels like D&D superheroes. Well, but I, the thing I, I want to make sure we throw in here, though, is one of the reasons I like 13th Age, it isn't the combat mechanics. It's the storytelling devices that are built in, and we did none of that. Yeah, we like we, This was strictly, let's make a character, let's fight something. So I don't think you guys got to see some of the elements that I'm most excited about, like the one unique thing, icons and backgrounds. Well, can you, can you go through that? Because actually backgrounds, I wrote down eight points, but we never – and you wrote down eight points as well, and we didn't go through backgrounds. And we, oh, yeah. we talked a little bit about that, I think, last time, either on the, on the podcast or the last game. But the way, the way backgrounds work in 13th Age, which I think is great, and it may be stealing it from another game I've never heard of. I don't know. It's, it's unique. But you basically pick a background – and you assign points to it at first level, and the most you can assign is five out of your eight points, and certain characters like bards and rogues may have more points. So rather than in like D&D where you say, okay, I put two points into rope use, and I put two points into ride, and I put two points into gather information or gather rumors, you could just say in a background, I used to work in the circus. 
Yeah, that we right. did discuss. And so that is so awesome. I have five points in circus. So anytime there's there's something that happens that I can say, well, in the circus, I had to tie a lot of knots, I get five points on it. Or, you know, I had to ride the horses, so I get five points in it. Or I have to, you know, I'm good at interacting with the crowd and trying to get them to spend money on carnival games, I get five points on it. And mechanically, there's not a big difference. I have points I'm spending and I get bonuses off of it. What I like about it from a storytelling device is that you're having to make that stuff up and it becomes part of your character. When you say, well, because as a DM, I would want you to be specific. I wouldn't want to say, you know, I spent a lot of time riding the horses. I would say, give me a specific time. Well, there was this one time when the horses got out and I had to do this, this, and this, and that's, that's why I'm using these five points towards ride. Well, now we know something about your character we didn't know before you made that role. Where in the old versions of D&D &D where you just spend points, all I know is that as a player, you decided to put points in rope use or ride or gather rumors rather than your character having a background in it. And that, to me, that feels different. That, that, yeah, and we did discuss it, uh, in a, I think, in a game, right after a game. That, that sounds awesome. Can you explain icon relationships? Because I don't think we've ever talked about anything about that. All right, so icons is one of the big storytelling devices that they've created. And essentially, it's not necessarily gods, but these are the movers and shakers of the world. And they have, I think there's 13 of them, and they're all tied into the background. So you have the Archmage who works for the Emperor, and he basically is the most powerful magic user. He's the Elminster equivalent, or Gandalf equivalent. You got the Crusader who is like an overzealous paladin who, who will seek out evil and maybe go to the side of darkness in an effort to destroy it. You have uh, the Dwarf King, who's the leader of the dwarfs. You got the Elf Queen, leader of the elves. You got the High Druid. You got Gold Worm Dragons. You got the Orc Lord. And these are essentially they're high level NPCs. When you create your character, you get to have a relationship with any three of these. You pick. Okay, I have a relationship with the Archmage, the Diabolus, and the Emperor. And that, that relationship can either be positive, negative, or conflicted. And that sort of tells your background story. So I have a positive you know, relationship with the Archmage, but I have a negative relationship with the Emperor. Well, why? You've got to create that into your story. Why do you have a conflicted you know, relationship with this person versus that person? Then at the beginning of each game, you roll your icon die which is a D6, and it's for each of those relationships. So I would roll a D6 for the Archmage. If I get a 5 on that roll, then I get some sort of benefit out of that relationship, but it's at a cost. If I get a 6, then I get a benefit with no cost. So in, as the GM, I have to try to find ways to work that into the story. So, for example, I, when I did the demo game at Gen Con, my character, I had a conflicted relationship with the Diabolus, which is sort of like the bad guy like the devil and well, I'm sorry he was conflicted because the way I did my background is he kept giving me things that I didn't want like I didn't want him to help me out because it was giving me a bad reputation but he kept doing it and so there was a part in the game where I was we, the, the whole party was being attacked by some of the Diablo's henchmen and she cast a burning hand spell and it didn't affect me the GM just said the, the flames the flames went around you without affecting you because I had rolled a six in my Davos roll that game with my conflicted relationship. So it, it changed the story that is cool. in the game, which that I thought means, was awesome. That means in a way that creates a game for the GM. It's like a meta game. That the, it's like the GM, you can't prepare for it because you don't know what they're going to roll. Right. And when it comes up, you're like, oh, wait, 
Diablo has got the six, so now I need to work this in somehow. Right. So the two things I'll say is one, as I've already read online, is most GMs are having people roll that at the end of the game for the next game, so that oh, gives so you prep time. And then I did feel like in that prep in that Gen Con game that it was a little shoehorned. Again, we had two hours and it was kind of forced, but I kind of felt like the the interaction at that end was just sort of a throw in adventure or throw in encounter that really didn't make sense narratively. But the DM felt obligated to use them. So that would be my other thing is I would say, I don't know that I would say I would be beholden to them 100%. I would just try to make sure they get worked in into the story. Now, once it did happen, the thing with the burning hands was awesome. I love the fact that it didn't affect me because that was like a perfect way to represent my character not wanting that, that relationship, but it being forced on me. But I felt the encounter itself wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. So... I love the icons, and again, each person builds that into their background. The three you pick, why you picked them, if it's positive, negative, or conflicted. And, you know, there's already, like, a 13th or a Forgotten Realms version. I could see you doing this maybe as, like, a political game with, like, the, you know, Game of Thrones of the different houses. You have a positive, negative, or conflicted relationship. You could even do it as a party score, maybe rather than giving individual PCs those numbers, you could have an adventuring party that has the positive, negative, so there's already ways I, I'm trying to think about tweaking it, but I still like the idea of it. I like the randomness of it, but I would want you to roll it before the game so I have time to prepare for it next time. Gotcha. And the one unique thing I think you've already covered. Maybe yeah, we, we've actually kind of already incorporated that into D&D Next, but it, it's, it's another, well, other than the Escalation die, it, it probably is the most well-known thing that's been talked about. And essentially it's when you create your character, you pick one thing that's so unique about your character that it, excuse me, that in some ways it is world-defining. And there has to be, you know, cooperation with the GM. You can't say, I'm immortal and I can never die unless the GM's okay with that. But one of the examples they use in the book is you you could say that I'm the only halfling uh, warrior in the Kingsguard. Okay, so you've just took the the world and changed it to fit your character. Because as the DM, I may have thought, well, there's, you know, there's 10% of the world's halflings. So there's 10% of the guards are halflings. And you're like, nope. You are now the only halfling guard in the king's army, period, in the story, and I will incorporate that into my game and, you know, try to figure out a, a reason why. Uh, and some of them can be very minor. Like, you could, you know, you could have an elf um, whose eyes were lost and they were, they got, like, a magical replacement by the queen of the elves. I think that's one of the ones in the book. So it doesn't really have any mechanical effect, and they're not really supposed to have mechanical effects. They're just story elements. But they, there's something about your character um, that is unique to the world, and, and it sort of puts you in the world and makes set you apart from everybody else. So again it's a it's a narrative yeah, it storytelling. It gives you a device. little bit of a personality or uniqueness that you can use as a player as well, it seems like I mean you can easily think Dritz from the Forgotten Realms novels, he's the only good no, drow or dark no, no. elf, you know. So I'm a huge fan of Thirteenth Age. I've been a fan of it ever since uh, I started reading about it online. I pre-ordered the book. I, di- I didn't do the Kickstarter, which I wish I would have. Which I, I don't, actually don't know for sure there was a Kickstarter. I assume there was. But I got the book as soon as I could. I pre-ordered it. I got the PDF early. I've been reading through it. And like I said, I've been really wanting to try to get you guys to, to go away from next and do Thirteenth Age. And then fate happened. I'm... I wouldn't be sold on 13th Age in any way, regardless. You don't like it? I don't think so. Was it, do you think it was because of the maneuvers that you had? Or no, you I just, just don't like the game? Or is I don't, it so close I don't, to D&D that you don't see why you should play a different game? Yes. Like, I don't see the big gain or big difference in gameplay or, or the, um, 
a big reason for switching to 13th age from D and D. Like I feel like 13th age could be called D and D 3.7 or 4.2. Yeah. I, you know, actually you have an interesting point. You could almost play D and D next and just add the one unique thing, icon relationships, and you're still having skills, having backgrounds and you're playing 13th age. Well, we are going to kind of do that. Um, because of the way my game is set up, we're, we can't really do the icons because right now you're in a world with only 200 people in it. So you guys are the most powerful people. But I do want to take backgrounds from 13th Age. And, I, and except we're already kind of doing the one unique thing. Yep. But we just haven't solidified and said it, that's what it is. But each of you, you know, you're a dwarf with his beard cut off. Evan's the only half orc in the world. Um, try, or, Allergic uh, to ragweed. <laughs> allergic to ragweed. Nick's character is the only half elf in the world. You know, again, we just, we just haven't really defined them that that way, but we're already kind of doing that. Uh, but I want to do backgrounds that way and icons. Like as the world grows, I might incorporate that into the into the game. But right now, it just really wouldn't make it sense. You can be the nobles. Well, again, but there's only three of them. Which we, again, no, there's going to be 13 of them. Well, there's, there's four now. Rylos was promoted to a noble at the last game. I hate that it's called one unique thing. Because, because it just makes me think of it makes me think of like a kid at school and the teacher's like, Eric, what's special about you? <laughs> like, well, that's very close. Maybe to what I'm this just is. like every other dumb motherfucker on this island. <laughs> like, why is why does there need to be something special about me? Maybe your one unique thing is that there is nothing unique about you. Yeah, yeah, you're perfectly average. You're perfectly yes. average. All right, so do we want to jump into the fate thing? Because, like I said, I was hardcore nerd boner for 13th Age, and then I read Fate, and I I fell in love hard with Fate 4. I feel uh, like this is going to be a little bit more difficult to get the point across or explain it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how, but, how in-depth we're going to get, but so essentially I, I bought Fate Core. I'd, I'd heard a lot of good things on it on Twitter. A lot of people were talking about it. I know there's games like Dresden Files, Sp Spirit of the Century, um, I think, Cortex maybe based on it as well. But anyways, I'd heard a bunch of good things about it. So I picked it up at Gen Con and then over vacation, I started reading it and I literally read this book cover to cover in like six, six days. I started reading it and I rarely read a D and D book cover to cover. You know, I skim through it. I figure out, okay, this is how this works. I absolutely, everything about this system to me was like, that's, that's how it should be. Like, can I think you, this is the game I was born to play. Can you explain aspects and stats? Because I think that's what sets it apart. Skills, you know, you can say it's kind of similar to everything else, but if you explain aspects and stats and why you start with aspects, I think that will give people an idea yeah. of how this game works. And I am by no means an expert. Like, I've read the book one time, and I may screw things up. Maybe so. we should kind of use our characters right. as examples so you start because there are no classes there are no levels it's basically you it's all story driven which is what i like about it so the first thing you do with your character is you create what's called your high concept and this is basically a short descriptive you know not even a complete sentence of who you are and what you are in the world and it, you know you could use D, D terms that i'm the only good dark elf in the world that that would be dritz's you know, high concept or Elminster. I'm the most powerful wizard in, in the world. It could be forgotten realms. Uh, but you want to do something that kind of talks about who you are and, and your role in the world. It, you know, it could be, I'm a lead detective. If you're playing that type of story, or I'm the last wizard left in the world, or I'm the, you know, I'm a, I'm a mortal like the Highlander. It's basically a very short sentence or, or statement about who your characters are. So Evan, what did you come up with for your aspect? 
Um, or your high concept. I did a um, a a jester. I'm sorry. The first thing that came into my head was um, the questionable scoutmaster. <laughs> uh, but that's not what that's not what I did. I did a jester that is a fighter. So, I think that was your D&D how would you next work? version? We were trying to create the same character in each game. And we started with D&D Next, and you took the fighter class and the jester background, and that's mm-hmm. why you used that same one. Yeah. Would his high concept be that he doesn't know when to quit, or that, or is that one of the secondary things? Yeah. Or is it just a jester fighter? I, I, yeah, I think your high concept would have been that you're a, a, a jester fighter. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that we worded that very well, but that, that would essentially be what it was. Um, so what was yours, Nico? Mine was more like a personality, a quiet watcher from a distance that I that I quietly watch people from far away. I think that kind of fits with the whole sniper idea that I had. Voyeur. No, not Peeping Tom either. <laughs> and I think some of the examples they use in the book is uh, like Infamous Girl with a Sword, which is just, you know, she's an adventurer. It's What's a, on the cover? Um, Are those... Is that what they're supposed? To, what it's supposed to be? Yeah, well, those are characters that could be created in the game. Because again, Fate Core is is non um, setting. It can be anything. You could play a detective, you know, noir, nineteen fifties mobster game. You could play sci fi, fantasy. Because I see a monkey with a robotic arm. There's a monkey with a robotic arm. There's a girl with a sword, and there's like a police detective who also has magic. So again, that that's part of the Fate Core system is that you you can play anything. There you are want. no classes. There are so no you classes. Can make anything you want. Yeah. To. So your high concept defines you. Again, their examples is, um, you know, uh, former member of, the, of, of a gang, uh, the infamous girl with a sword, wizard for hire was the three examples that I think they gave in there. So then the second thing that you create is it, basically it's another aspect, but it's called your trouble. And it's sort of the, the thing that is a part of your personality that gets you in trouble. And it could be like Tony Stark, he's a drunk, you know, or he's uh, arrogant to a fault. He's, uh, you know, I think... I'm watching Breaking Bad right now, and Walt's character in Breaking Bad, his fault would probably be his prideful, you know, hubris. I would say cancer. Well, there's that. <laughs> but what gets him in trouble is his pride that he can't let it go, and that's he keeps putting himself in trouble. So his trouble would be, you know, prideful to a fault. So what was your trouble? Mine was uh, social awkwardness. Yeah. So basically you just, in social search situations, you say the wrong thing, you don't read situations well. Right, I well. figured the way, because one of the way you explained is that trouble has to kind of be related to your high concept in a way. Right. So from my perspective was, why am I quiet and reserved and watch people and still interact with people? And it's because I'm socially awkward, so when I try to get involved, everybody basically just walks away from me because they think I'm too weird for them. And then what was your uh, trouble? My trouble was that I'm bad at my job, which <laughs> being a jester, um, I'm bad at being a jester. But I think... What was the next thing? The next two things that we had to come up with. What are those it's called? Adventure and aspects. Yeah, they're just more aspects that further define your character. One of those is that I don't know when to quit. I think that would be a better trouble. That should be my trouble. Okay. For, is that I don't. Know and, when well, to I think quit. those are kind of combined. Is that in your backstory? What we came up with is that you were gesturing for a noble, and you. I went took too, too far. far I go, I t- the, took jokes too far, or. Yeah. Basically, like when the room gets awkward, I think the best way is to keep going. <laughs> yeah, but that always. You know, like Andrew Dosclay and Tom Glass combined. Um, so, and the way the game works is basically that's your character. <laughs> oh! So that that's who you are. And the way the game works is it's basically about invoking those aspects. So you, you use them as positives. I use them as complications. So we could be going into, 
uh, a situation, not necessarily a battle, but just like a, a, a scene, I think, as they're called in the games, where things are happening. And, you know, Nico's character say, well, since I like to stay behind and observe, then there's a, you know, I want to get a plus two noticing what's going on. Are we being ambushed? You know, do they have guns? Do, do there are weapons? Are there reinforcements hiding outside? Are the waiters in on it? And they're all part of the mob. You would find a way to try to use the fact that you stay back in your reserved as an advantage, and I would try to find ways to make it a complication where, well, since you stay back, when the doors close, locking him in the room, you're outside. So now Terry, the jester fighter, is locked in the room with the mobsters, and he has to fight on his own while you have to find a way in by running to the back. So we're both, it's called invoking your aspects to try to make the game interesting. So again, as you know, not knowing when to quit, you could use that as a, you know, sort of a, a way that you take care of someone else or you make someone else back down or you, you're in a really weird situation and you, you do push it so far that it becomes funny again. So again, going back to the mobster idea, maybe you insult the mobster and everybody's freaking out that he's going to kill you, but you just keep going and eventually he's like, ah, <laughs> you're funny. And, you know, all of a sudden everybody, the tension stops and people right, well, start Well, the example you gave over creating the characters was because we played the D&D next character first or I created him first, I had a favorite enemy being goblins, which was my adventure, which the adventure is basically like kind of like an initial adventure. It's like a prologue to the story. Yeah. So my favorite enemy was a goblin, and you said that you, that can be used either way. I can say, oh, because I really dislike goblins, I should get a plus two to when I attack them. However, you can say when we're entering a town and would be quiet, I see goblins, and I have to do something about right. it. Um, I think that's a good example that shows both the positive and the negative. And and one of the things that I'm not 100% clear on is how how the fate points work. It's like a it's like a physical chip or token that you get. And if I do what's called a compel, which is where I kind of force you to use your aspects against you, I have to reward you with a fate point. And the thing is, you have to agree to it. You could say, no, this mission's so important that I I can I can refrain. So then, okay, you don't have to take that goblin, but you don't get the fate point. If you say, yeah, I guess I probably would, you take the fate point. And then when you invoke your aspect and say, okay, well, now that I'm attacking the goblin, I want to get my plus two or whatever, you give it back to me. And there's, there's, there's an economy with fate points that have to flow back and forth because we're, we're all telling the story and we're kind of giving control I, I, I back think the forth. obvious thing about fate is it's very role-playing based because, as an exa- and I think the 13th age is actually the exact opposite in terms of uh, character creation. So with 13th age, what we did was we're like, okay, here's the attributes. What bonuses do I get? Uh, let me put them in decks because I want to play a ranger because rogue doesn't make a lot of sense. So that's what I was thinking, right? And D&D next as well. I looked at ranger and rogue with D&D next and I said, I'll play rogue because I want to be stealthy and I want to be far away. That would give me some advantages in what I'm doing. And then with 13th age, I was like, wow, rogue doesn't really give me the advantages I want. Ranger will be better because I can uh, do archery and reroll my rolls, blah, blah, blah. With fate, there was none of that. With fate, I said, this is what I want to play, and I just made my aspects. And the funny thing is, my aspects don't actually talk about archery at all. Because that's not what's important. My personality is important. Right. And then archery is just like one of those things I do, and it's just a skill. Yeah. So I find that fascinating that it gives you the ability to basically make... I find it fascinating that you can basically build whatever you want to. Yeah. If you only play a mage that is really stupid, you could do that because you're not bound by saying, well, my intellect needs to be high because if I have an int- intellect and I'm a wizard... Um, I'm going to suck, and I'm never going to be able to cast a single right. spell. You could play the doofus wizard or the barbarian wizard or even, uh, was it from Dragonlance, Fitzbang? 
Fritz Band, whatever, the, to the bumbling Mr. Magoo wizard who doesn't remember his spells all the time. You could do that in this game, and it would work and would be fun, and you wouldn't be hamstrung totally useless, right. because you picked a bad. Because or, there's no attributes, so therefore he can do whatever you want to. Um, do you want to also cover stunts? Yeah, the, well, the way the skills work, and there, there's, there's a thing called Fate Accelerate or Fate Accelerated, which is sort of a streamlined version, which doesn't use skills. It uses aspect or approaches. The, the fate core system uses skills, and there's a there's a defined list in there, but you can add to it, you can subtract, but it basically gives you the, some some typical skills like fighting. So if you want to be a melee character, your fighting score would probably be pretty high, and that's how you would attack. But within that, you have stunts, and stunts are a way that your character changes the skill based on who they are and what they do. And they're, they should be unique to you each game to game, and you can create your own. You can basically take the the examples as a template and go okay well this is sort of what i can do with it so you could have one fighter who is the barbarian hack and slash and gets a, a like a war master or a savage savage attack bonus to fighting that when they just go all out they get a bonus to attack or bonus to damage type of a thing or you could have another person who's more like sherlock holmes in the the new movies where he goes okay you're going to attack with a haymaker and then i'm going to trip you your left leg and that's going to cause you to fall into this guy and you use that to be an analytical fighter, mechanically it works out the same. You either get your plus two, your donor, your invoke, or your boost. But narratively, those are vastly different ways to approach fighting as a, as a skill. And everybody gets three stunts for free. So out of, out of all your skills, you can pick three things that you want to stunt off of. And then you can choose to do more, but every time you pick another stunt, it lowers your refresh rate. And your refresh rate is how many fate points you start each game with. Normally you start with three, because you kind of ha- you have to have them to invoke things. If you don't have fate points, you don't get to do the invoking. So as um, so if you take more stunts, you have less points to start with. It definitely felt with the stunts. So I'm looking at my stunts. I had three of them because that's what we both started with. And my first stunt is totally something I made up. I call it Arkansas after we discussed it with Mike. And basically, since I wanted to play a sniper far away guy, I, w- I said I wanted to be able to have the ability to use angles with my uh, calculate angles with my arrows so I can hit people behind like a wall or something like that by just calculating how far it's going to hit which from a game mechanics point of view you can say that's kind of cool for certain situations because somebody can be hiding behind a wall I can still hit them but I felt the ability that I could just come up with that idea and suddenly my character is special right um, the other two stunts are things that I like that already existed as examples so if you don't feel like making your own stunts you can just they, they give some good examples, I think, and they yeah. kind of cover all kinds of different Each ideas. Each skill has three examples they give, and right. I mean they're they're very they're very com- complete, but they also provide that template, so you can do anything that you want. And that's the thing that I kept every time I would read like an example, I would be like, "Holy shit, they they're that just doing do whatever they want." Right? Because uh, one of the interesting things is uh, Evan's character. Uh, it, you guys had a discussion between if he if he wanted to uh, what was it? distract right he wanted to to, be, to use his kind of like gesture jokes to distract people and kind of like what force them to attack you or force them to pay attention to you just or, pay attention to me so either in combat i could get them to stop attacking right. someone else and, or and, and the, focus their attention and the discussion me. that we kind of had was like okay what skill do you want to be based off of because what evan thought to be his his skill was different than what mike thought and they kind of discussed it and said no, this makes more sense to have it this way, which in D&D is the whole intimidate thing. Why are you using charisma? Because you could use strength to intimidate people. Right. 
in faith, you can say, I'm going to use my physique or I'm going to use my whatever other social aspect you want to use that relates to a skill and you can do it. Because it seems like just making the characters, it felt like anything was negotiable. Yeah. As long as it wasn't like, uh, I can never be killed and I'm immune to all weapons. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it really is a... Um, I had a brain fart there. Cooperative storytelling game. And even the way the game runs, as I, we didn't do the battle in, thir- in, in Fate because I don't really... I don't know really yet how to make up bad guys, really. But I kind of explained how it would work. And so we're going to... So we, we set up the same fight. You guys are in the woods and a goblin and a bugbear attack. But the way it would work in Fate is as a group, we would all kind of decide on what the environment looked like. You know, I think the example is Evan might say he wants there to be some rocks and boulders over to here that might provide cover or, or high ground. I, I would say, okay, well, I want there to be a stream that's flowing through the middle. And you might want to have some trees that provide cover. And we kind of, as a group, agree on that and go, okay, now we're ready to fight. So we all built that environment before we start. So it wasn't like me just said, okay, you're walking through a, a room and this is what happens. I think in the book they give an example of the three characters fighting in a warehouse. And one character's like, well, the dock door's open because they're waiting for a ship. So there's access to outside. Another said, well, there's a bunch of crates over here that are half-packed, half-empty. And over this person said, okay, there's a balcony up here with a catwalk. So then, okay, now we all know what the setting looks like, right? Because we've all kind of agreed on it. It's all in our minds. So when we go into the battle, we all know what it looks like. You know, it's not just me going, oh, I didn't tell you there's a balcony. Okay, yeah, there's a balcony. Because I'm trying to give you my idea. I'm trying or to I, show you what's I, in my or, mind. Yeah, or, or we ask questions. We're You're like, right. hey, is there a balcony? Is there a balcony because I want to climb up it? Yeah. And you'll say yes or no, and then we'll go from there. So you're constantly, so in this way, we're all creating it to begin with before you decide. And as a DM, those are one of the moments I read it. I'm like, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if I like that because I feel like that's control I don't want to give up. But the more I read it, I was like, no, that's I think awesome. that's great. I think it definitely requires a special kind of player. Players that really like being like the one-man army, and that's what they like. They like killing things. I don't know if they're going to like this game as much. Because this game is a lot more about creating a story. You can tell just by the whole aspect idea. There is no, oh, I want to play a fighter so my strength is going to be high. It's more like a, uh, okay, I want to play a fighter, but why am I a fighter? So you're creating a story. Which is kind of how I make my characters as well, which I think is why I like. We talked about that last time. Yeah, like, which this is thing this for I me, like this. I want to play this game more than I want to run it. And that might be the first time ever for me that that the first thing I think is I want to play this because everything else is I want to run it. I want to play this game. Hmm. It's not, there's not an easy way for you to get your personality traits or your character concept or your flaws or your, your little nuances to come through in the game. And mechanically on your character sheet, there's nothing really built into, there's nothing really on the 13th age character sheet or D and D next character sheet that really supports or allows for your character traits, like your personality traits and things like that, to come through in the game. So take like my um, my monk that would pull out his pistol and and um, shoot it when he shouldn't because he was bad at it, or take um, Jared's Wong who was uh, crazy Wong or Wang 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 that was crazy and he and so. You know, in between or during combat, Jared would say things, stere- I don't know, stereotypical things or sounds that you might think a crazy person would say. And in both my case and his ca- case, you might say, like, well, are, 
is that really adding anything or you, you know is it just do are you just doing it to be funny whereas whereas in this it's the actual the things that are taking place in the game and the system and everything is based off of that it's all right, built be your, off of those little nuances be, so you high little sorry so your high question will be i'm a monk that actually would like to fire a gun but it's not very good at it and i guess a monk wants to be a cowboy yeah, yeah and instead of your trouble is that you're not very good with the gun instead of that just being a like a sidebar off in the distance and i keep trying to throw it into combat and i keep trying to throw it into the mechanics of the game it's part of the game it's actually part of the mechanics of the game it's actually what part of what makes the game work right i, I again I, I totally agree i, I hope you guys like this as much as I do, and I probably didn't do a great job of explaining it as much as uh, you know me reading it and what I've absorbed. But I, I just, I do think this is a game that I don't know that I need to play any other games. Like I, I'm like, we could just play Fate for everything because you can play it as fantasy, or we could play it as like Shadowrun. We could play it as X Files. We could play it as Supernatural. We could play it whatever you want to do. Right. You just It'll be play interesting it. once we play it because our perception might change. Right. Mm -hmm. And I agree, it's possible. And, and the rules might be too complicated, even though it seems. Like, once you get the rules based on the little things you described with the fate points and stuff like that, I think it might be pretty simple. But it seems like the sky's the limit with this game. So if you have a good group, you can have a lot of fun. And notice that when we're making these characters for on fate, we actually laughed because we're, like, thinking about things that were funny about that character. Yeah, it was work do to do the next, and more so 13th Age, because I don't know the system as well. I had to flip through the book. But with this game, like, immediately... Like five seconds in, you're both like, "I like this better." Like, yeah, it's just a very different I don't, concept. I don't know, honestly. I I think making it and the idea and everything is good, but, but that's why playing I said, it, play, I might get. I mean, I could honestly see myself getting uncomfortable or intimidated or getting put on the spot too much or not because you have to role play your real character concept, and so when it comes to be your turn, it's not just. You're not hiding behind a dice roll when it's your turn. Right. You have to be your character, and you have to play your character the way that you created so, it. So I know this wasn't the, the topic that we came up with earlier, um, and we're running along on time, so we're probably going to change this anyways, but this brings up a, a, something I want to talk about, is this came up when I was doing my prep for Gen Con, and I, I want to see what you guys think about it. So this is a – I can't remember exactly what it's called. I think it's called the X card. And it's a common thing that they use in, in convention games and pickup games when you have a bunch of people who don't really know each other. And basically what it is is all the players get a, a note card, and it's got an X on it. And you're, you hand those out to the players. And at any time during the game that there is either subject matter or just something going on in the game that makes you feel uncomfortable, you basically hold up your card, and it's a no questions asked, okay, we move on. So if I'm talking about a game and I'm, you know, I'm talking about, you know, maybe there's children that are being sold into slavery and you're just like, you know, I, that's just not for me. As a DM, I, I just Is brush there a check on the other side? Or <laughs> <laughs> you're like, <laughs> more. Yeah. <laughs> Boobies. <laughs> no, but, but the thought. But, Fuck but, those kids. <laughs> <laughs> but that rolls into that. Is that something that you would think would be added to the game that would if you did feel uncomfortable like i just don't know what to do you just hold up your card and i think i think you we, move on i think in a uh, gaming group like ours that most of us have been actually we've all been playing for at least a year with each other travis I, and nick off and on because you play with them for a while but, but Evan i know and, but all, I, all together I, yes i think all together people have known how to play, how to play with each other i think it's not necessary in our group 
but maybe for shine groups it would be necessary. Again, I think it's more for con games where you might show up to a game and not know what it's about. Like I know one of the examples I read online was there's like somebody who was who just got quit smoking, and the DM was like narrating a PC who's like a chain smoker, and it just the guy's like I. I just don't want to deal with that, you know. And so again, you don't uh, no, say I, anything. I think, I think that's a good idea for when you don't know people, because it provides an easy way of people to say it's like a safety did, word. Did you have those in most of your games? No, I didn't have them in any. Uh, it's something I read about, and I think it's part of my personality. It's, as I've said before, if you offend me, I'll give you five dollars. Like I don't think it's possible. So my initial thought was that's fucking stupid because. But that's that's a Michael thing. I have to step back. No, to. Like, if you well, heard that out see, there, what, what that's you, an open invitation <laughs> yeah, on Twitter yeah. and, and Facebook. Him on Twitter. Try to offend me. Try to offend me. You will never be a writer for five dollars. No. Yeah, you will never offend me. It's I just, read your story. It sucks. <laughs> that, but that's not offending me. I'm talking about like you know talking about kids or well. You know, but see, think about this. You're a girl, and like a bunch of people are talking about having sex with right. a 16 year old maid, and you're like maiden, and you're like. Uh, X, I don't want to talk about sex with a bunch of dorks on a, on a, on a Gen Con. Right. That's, and I, and that's I think, how you And I'm not saying like feminism like it's a girl thing, but I think that's what it is when you're in a game with people you don't know and there's a subject matter that may make you uncomfortable. It, it I think it makes sense. Like, you know, as Michael, I'm never going to need it, but I do think as a, as a DM that it makes sense to have a – just again, you don't have to tell me why. You don't have to give any explanation. Especially you if just, you're timid, right? You yeah, can hold you up just the cart, and then the DM moves on, and and you just move on. I think it makes sense. So that was kind of a side question, just because I I thought of it because of you saying that you might feel uncomfortable playing this game. I was like, well, you know, maybe that's something we could do and to help you out. But at the same time, if you think about all the times that you have fun in a role playing game, is when you do something different. Nobody gets really excited and says, oh, remember six games ago I rolled a crit? Nobody remembers that. What you do remember is Evan using a wagon that was on fire to run into a spider. Yeah, that is yeah, what you do remember. Awesome. Or no, when you but, shot your gun and shot your foot, when, you, when your monk pulled your pistol and shot yourself in the foot. Yeah. Or you shot Jared. Or you shot Nico, which yeah. happened like those every were time. All fun. Those were all fun. And you're at, those are the moments that you remember. And it seems like fate is based on that idea. On those of, moments. Of, doing, of creating those moments by allowing you to, to play a part in the story. I can, yeah, it, I can see it creating a much more memorable game. But if you're off it, it might suck. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, maybe it could be the DM because you could have a good DM in any system. A good DM can make any system fun. A bad DM can make any system not fun. So, you know, maybe we play this game and we're like, God, oh, it wasn't fun, but it's my fault because I'm not running it well or whatever. So, I don't know. I know we're running long again. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>